This is Crossroads with Clayton King. Be careful that in your relationship with Jesus, you don't become flippant with God. He is still the God of the universe and he is holy and he is righteous and he is powerful and he is all knowing and he is omnipotent and he is coming back soon. One of life's challenges for all of us is overcoming the things we have done and the decisions we have made in our past. The feeling of guilt is a strong reminder of our bad decisions. But beyond the guilt of bad decisions, shame is even worse. Shame is the sense that we are bad. Here's Clayton with a powerful message that he calls Faith Enough to Fight. I'm gonna be in Mark chapter five today. For me, as an author, when I write a book, I've just finished my 18th book. My 17th book is the book Reborn, and the inspiration for that book comes from Mark chapter 5. So as a writer, people always assume that if you write, you just sit down at the computer, and it's almost like you become enthralled or possessed with some kind of supernatural power to magically hit the keys and a book comes out. Uh, That's not how it works. It's hard work. It's like a full-time job. And this story of this woman in Mark chapter five is what inspired me to write the book Reborn, about 12 people in the gospels that met Jesus face to face and were changed as a result of their encounter with Jesus. And this woman has has always fascinated me since I became a Christian because she's a real person with real weakness. And she didn't try to hide her weakness from Jesus. She actually brought her fear and weakness to Jesus. So that's the title of the message today. It's very simply, Faith to Keep Fighting. I wanna encourage you today, if you're a Christian, to not just sit around and wait on Jesus to come back. I want you to be encouraged to keep having faith to fight for your relationship with Jesus. And if you're not a Christian today, or if you're not sure whether or not you're a Christian. Maybe you come from no religious background at all, or you come from a different faith. Maybe you were raised in a different country or a different part of this nation, or maybe you don't know what you believe because you were raised maybe Catholic or Baptist or non-denominational, and you don't have an assurance of your salvation. I believe at the end of this message today, we're gonna see dozens more of you put your faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of what background you come from. Now, I come from three denominational backgrounds. I'm adopted. My mom and dad adopted me in 1972. I was just a few weeks old. I found my birth family recently through Ancestry.com. But when I was raised, I was raised in the church. I was actually raised in three church traditions. So my mom and dad were Southern Baptist, and I still consider myself a Baptist. My Christian school that I attended was Presbyterian. And then my grandfather was Pentecostal. So I'm going to say that again in case y'all missed it. I was raised Southern Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal. That means a couple of things. First of all, I find myself feeling at home in any church in America, no matter what denomination. Number two, I need therapy. Number three, <laughs> being Southern Baptist, Pentecostal, and Presbyterian, you know what that means, right? It means I was predestined to speak in tongues while eating fried chicken at a deacon's meeting. Now, come on, somebody. That's funny. I don't care who you are. Y'all got to laugh at that. 
a courtesy laugh at least. So growing up, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. I'd heard stories about Jesus. I'd heard about him. I just didn't know him. So I am attracted to and I am drawn to stories of people, especially in the four gospels, who had the opportunity to meet Jesus face to face. I'm gonna warn you, church, I get a little animated and passionate when I preach. And there's a little Pentecostal left in me, so I might take a lap at some point in the message today. And I don't know if you're gonna join me or pray for me, but get ready. So in Mark chapter five, we see this amazing story of a real woman. I wanna read it to you, but I wanna make a statement before I begin. This woman had great faith, and we're gonna see that in a moment, but I don't want you to be confused about faith. Faith is not the absence of fear. That's not what faith is. I don't believe any of us will ever get to the point in our life where we're not afraid of anything. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is trusting God in the face of fear. Faith means you trust God when you don't know what God is doing. Faith means you trust God when you don't know what's happening in our world. Faith means that you take God's word seriously and you believe every word of it even when you can't explain all of the details. You'll always be afraid of something. I'm afraid of some things. I'm afraid of clowns. You think I'm kidding, I really am afraid of clowns. They freak me out. I don't know what it is about clowns, but the, it, I don't know if, I, I just don't know. I would never eat at McDonald's as a kid. My parents would be like, you wanna go to McDonald's? I'm like, no, Ronald McDonald gonna kill people. Take me to Burger King. I just, I, I'm scared to death of clowns. I don't know why. I'm also scared of spiders. It makes no sense why I'm scared of them, except for the fact that they're the spawn of Satan. Do you know there's a secret society of people that have pet tarantulas? I'm praying for their salvation. I, I don't under, I'll always be afraid of clowns. I'll always be afraid of spiders. But there's some other things in life that, we're, that, we're, that we fear. I know for me, when I found out um, that my mom and dad both died, my biological parents both died early, I had to fight through a fear that there were some health problems or some health issues or some genetic things I would have to one day face. I know that when I married my wife, I confessed to her that one of my biggest fears is that ministry would ruin my marriage. And that was a, a fear that the devil tempted me to, to, to fear, but I had to confess that to her because I'd seen other marriages in ministry fall apart because they prioritize success and growth over the most primary relationship, which is the relationship between a husband and wife. So I want you to be encouraged as we look at this story this woman was still afraid when she came to Jesus, but she did not let her fear keep her away. She clawed her way to the Messiah in Mark chapter five. I'm gonna begin in verse 25. Mark writes these words. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. I wanna pause right there for a moment just so that we feel the emotion in this story. Mark was either there or he had interviewed eyewitnesses that saw this happen and he doesn't give the woman a name but he tells us her situation. She'd been bleeding for 12 years, that's all we know. We don't know what her problem was, maybe she was a hemophiliac. Maybe she had a, a chronic nosebleed or a bleeding ulcer. We don't know, 
but we know that she had wasted all of her money trying to be healed. She was broke. This woman had nothing. Can you just imagine what she felt like that day when she hears that Jesus is coming to her town? She was not helped at all. The next verse says this. It says that when she heard that Jesus was coming, when she heard that Jesus was coming to her village, this woman was inspired to go and find him. Verse 27, having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. Now, I wanna pause right here for a moment. The English word clothing is a good word, but that's not the Hebrew word. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, but Jesus spoke Aramaic and Hebrew. This word for clothing is a Hebrew word that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. You can find uh, this word in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It's the word kanaf. So this woman hears that Jesus is coming to her village. She has wasted all of her money trying to get cured of this chronic issue. She can't stop bleeding. And she says, I've got to go touch his clothing. Well, that doesn't make much sense to you and to me unless we understand the meaning of the word kanaf. So the word kanaf literally means outer garment. And on the bottom of that garment were four corners called zits, T-Z-I-T. So, so just imagine like a blanket, a square blanket or a rectangular blanket with a hole cut out. They would slide this over their head and this outer garment would then go over the top of their clothing and rabbis wore the kanaf. Rabbis, Jewish leaders, religious rulers who understood the law of God and who taught and trained the people. And these rabbis would wear the kanaf and from the four corners of the kanaf would hang four tassels. Those tassels called zits were symbolic of God's covenant to the people, God's promise. And they were typically white and purple or white and blue. And by the way, if you go to Israel today and you see conservative Jewish men dressed in all black, typically a suit, coat, black pants, their hat, you will look, and if you will look at the base of their coat, the outer garment, it's not the traditional kanaf, but you will see blue and white tassels. To this day in Jerusalem, you'll see men wearing those same four tassels at the corners of their outer garment. It is keeping with tradition to believe that God is a God of covenant and God is a God of promise. So the woman is thinking about his outer garment. Now that seems odd, but I'll explain to you in a minute why that was important. For she said, this is the woman's mentality, if I just touch his clothing, I'll be made well. I just need to touch his clothes. Now, when I think about this scene, I've seen video footage of what it was like when Elvis Presley first appeared, I believe it was on the Ed Sullivan Show. Same thing with the Beatles, same thing with Michael Jackson. When you think about Elvis or the Beatles or Michael Jackson or super famous people, you just imagine that they show up and a crowd goes crazy and people just wanna reach out and touch them or get their autograph. That's not what she wanted from Jesus that day. She wasn't treating Jesus like he was a rock star. She was treating Jesus as if he had the power to heal her. She wasn't trying to just get a glimpse of Jesus or an autograph or in, in this day and time, a selfie. She wasn't just trying to grab a selfie with Jesus. She wanted to grab hold of his clothing, 
because she believed if she could get that close to him, she could be healed. Instantly, Mark tells us, her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her own body that she was healed of her affliction. So this kind of healing was instantaneous. It was immediate. And I just wanna tell you, I've seen this kind of healing take place. I've been to 53 countries. I've seen God heal people in the moment miraculously. I believe he still can. I believe he still does. I've also prayed for people to be healed and not seen them healed in the way I prayed. I've prayed for people that were on their deathbed to be raised up and they died. I prayed for God to heal my father and my father went to be with Jesus. I'm just being honest with you. I want you to know that as a pastor and as a preacher, I believe God can and does heal. I also believe that God's ways are higher than our ways and we don't always understand why God will sometimes say to our prayers, no, sometimes not yet. And sometimes you just don't understand what I'm about to do, but you will one day when you get to heaven. She sensed in her body that she had been healed of her affliction. And then not only does she feel it, Jesus feels it. This is so amazing. Mark records this. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. I love the fact that Jesus is totally God and totally human. He understood how he felt. He was aware of his emotions. And when he felt the power go out from him, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Can I just point out something to y'all? When Jesus asks a question, he's not asking because he doesn't know the answer. Y'all do realize that Jesus is God and God knows everything. He knows everything I've ever said, everything I've ever done. He knows the times I've sinned on the interstate. I thought, by the way, by the way, <laughs> I thought we had bad interstates in North and South Carolina you know what? I was wrong. Our interstates are wonderful. They are perfect. They, they work like fine oiled machines. California, y'all are a different level of Dante's Inferno. I just have to tell you. I've heard that your taxes are super, super high, but that's all I'm going to say about that. I just don't know that they're using them on interstates. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave that right there. Y'all can argue about it. But here's the deal. Jesus knows who touched him. He's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking who touched me because he wants to showcase her faith. He wants to point to her and say to his disciples, this is what true faith looks like. Jesus knew. He knows everything. He gets every answer right on Jeopardy. He knows what the hokey pokey is all about. Seriously. I mean, all kidding aside, just know this, that the most amazing aspect of God's love for me and for you is that God knows every sin you've ever committed, every evil thought I've ever had, every time I've lost my temper, every time I have sworn under my breath because I didn't get what I wanted and he loves me anyway. The same is true for you. 
every sin you've ever committed, the guilt that the devil wants to throw on you, the shame that comes from the enemy, the things you think nobody else knows about, Jesus knows about them, but he loves you and he did not come to condemn you out of his own mouth. Jesus said in John 3, 17, that the son of man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus says, who touched my clothes? And I love the next part. I just read the Bible differently than some people. I just see so much reality here. His disciples said to Jesus, you see the crowd pressing against you and yet you say, who touched me? Can we just pause for a second? And can we just say, thank the Lord for the disciples. <laughs> These guys were some doofuses. They really were. Jesus did not pick Harvard-trained theologians. He picked hard-headed, stubborn dummies like me. I, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I mean, the disciples constantly in the New Testament are misunderstanding Jesus. They're confused about his words. And there's just one point where Jesus just goes, how long will I have to abide with you? I feel like a, like, a, like a parent, you know? Have you ever had that moment with your kids where you're like, ooh, I love you so much, but right now I just wish I could love you from a distance and go have a spa day. Now, now Jesus loves his disciples, but I just feel like sometimes he just had to, he just had to say, you'll, you'll get it one day. These guys are like, everybody's touching you, Jesus. What do you mean who touched you? There's hundreds, if not thousands of people here today. But Jesus knew that this woman had touched him in a different way than everyone else. Everyone that day was clamoring towards Jesus. But this woman had to fight through adversity to get there. She knew real weakness. She had felt real brokenness. And as everybody that day is clamoring to grasp hold of Jesus, she grasped hold of Jesus with true faith, a resilient faith. A hard-won faith, not a nostalgia, but a faith that had to fight to get there. Her tenacity got her to Jesus that day. She understood the concept of not giving up. We'll get back to Clayton in just a minute. But first, I'd like to let you know about our ministry. Our mission at Clayton King Ministries is to preach the gospel and make disciples. We serve God's kingdom by providing exceptional events like Crossroads Summer Camp, which has been providing a life-changing experience for students since 1996. We create printed, video, and audio ministry resources available through our website, and we provide outreach opportunities through Crossroads missions and trips. Get plugged in at ClaytonKing.com. All of these resources and this radio program are made possible by people like you who go above and beyond to help us build a deep faith in the lives of thousands of young people around the world. So remember us in your personal prayer time. And when you visit our website, claytonking.com, please consider helping us financially. Your prayers and financial support mean everything to us. Again, our web address is claytonking.com. Jesus set the table. You don't have to bring a lot to the table to be saved. And as a Christian, if you've been walking with Jesus for a year or 50 years, you know what you bring to the table? The same thing everybody else does. Your brokenness, your weakness, and your dependency on Christ. She was weak and poor. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. I'm not a doctor, but I know that when you bleed, you lose blood, you lose energy because the blood carries iron to your cells. The blood oxygenates your cells. 
This woman had been physically weak for 12 years. I remember the first time I donated blood. I was a senior in high school. This was 1991. And they said, hey, we're having a blood drive. And if you sign up for the blood drive, you get to, you get to miss an entire class period. I said, sign me up. <laughs> so I went to the library that morning and the lady that was there at the library taking blood, she knew me and she said, well, hey, Clayton, um, is this your first time giving blood? I said, it sure is. She said, did you eat breakfast this morning? I said, nope, I don't eat breakfast. I'm just built different. <laughs> I didn't say that, but you know, I kind of thought that. I was a football player and I was you know, kind of arrogant. And she goes, no, you need, to, you need to eat something. There's some cookies and orange juice over there for people like you. Because if you don't eat anything, a lot of people will pass out when they give blood for the first time. I said, not me. She said, well, why do you think not you? I said, because I'm six foot three, 230 pounds. Grew up on a farm, I drive a truck. She said, I'm gonna ask you one more time, Clayton, please go eat a few cookies and drink some orange juice. I said, I have food ye know not of. <laughs> An hour later, I woke up on the couch <laughs> in the library. She had taken her coat off and covered me up because I was so cold. I gave a pint of blood and I passed out. <laughs> Can you imagine how weak this woman was after 12 years? She was weak, she was poor, spent all of her money on doctors. In October, my appendix burst. And I've been healthy my whole life. I caught malaria when I lived in Kenya for a, for a semester in college. But other than catching malaria, I've really never been sick. I almost died, I got sepsis. All of us can feel a little bit of what this woman was going through. There's no more money to pay the bills. She's wasted everything on the doctor. She was weak and she was poor. She was also frustrated and afraid. I want you to feel the frustration that this woman had to fight through to get to Jesus. She was so isolated. There were rules in the Old Testament that she had to abide by as a Jewish woman. If you read the book of Leviticus, if a person was bleeding, they were considered unclean and they had to be separated from the camp. She had been unclean for 12 years. Do you know what this meant? This is the level of frustration she had. This meant she could not go to the temple in Jerusalem. This meant she could not enter into the synagogue with the rest of the Jewish community. Conceivably, she couldn't be touched by other people. What if this woman had not had a single human being touch her, a warm embrace, a hug, a handshake, a pat on the back for 12 years? I also did the math. I'm not really good at math, but I do have an iPhone with a calculator on it. So I did some math. Let me tell you how frustrated this woman was and how absolutely afraid she was. If she had prayed once a day for 12 years, Dear God, will you heal me of this disease? Once a day for 12 years, she would have prayed 4,380 prayers for healing. And all of them were unanswered. Now let's move it up a notch. If she was a good Jewish woman, like every good Jew, she would have prayed five times a day. 
Let's just do the math. If she had prayed five times a day for 12 years, God, will you please heal me of this disease? It's me again. I prayed five times yesterday. I'm praying five times today. And it looks like I'll be praying five times tomorrow. God, will you please heal me of this disease? This woman, when she met Jesus and grabbed hold of the kanaf of his garment, had prayed 21,900 prayers. Have you ever prayed for anything 21,900 times? I don't think I have. I've been a Christian 35 years. I get frustrated when I don't get what I want after a week. This woman is a perfect example of how to fight through that kind of frustration and fear. 21,900 unanswered prayers until she met the master. And when she met the master, every prayer was answered. Have you met the master? This is a vitally important question. He can save you if you're in the grasp of the downward spiral of shame. And we would love to walk with you through this journey. Reach out to us at ClaytonKing.com. And if you would like to hear this program again, send it to a friend or explore all the other resources we have for your spiritual journey with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.